Now, one of the reasons I was really excited to learn more from Mary's song in Luke is that Mary is convinced that God is worth surrendering to. She's convinced in these verses here that that we just read and that we're going to get a little bit more into that God is somebody who's so good, so powerful, he's worth surrendering to. And that's, I think, difficult for anyone to believe in, regardless of if you identify as a Christian or not. It's difficult for everyone to believe that God is worth surrendering to. Now, if you are a Christian, if you've been around the church, like all of us here have been around the church a bit, we know how to speak the language, we know what clothes to wear, we know the right things to do. Um, But of course, you know, it's it's actually really different than living it out. It's really different than having our lives surrender to the king. And I think the problem is we just don't really think about it very much. Like, God is really, yes, we sing God is powerful, we sing that God's good, and we'll sing songs about that in the future, but like, it doesn't really kind of affect our day-to-day. Like, our Mondays don't matter if God is powerful or good or not, because we just don't really think about it. So if God doesn't affect our day-to-day life, that's at least some proof that we haven't yet really surrendered to him in a way that he would be happy with, in a way that would be good for us. And what that means, regardless of what we might cheaply say in a worship gathering or at an MC meeting, but we, um, or, or kind of in kind of interactions with each other, it means that probably a lot of us, all of us, I should probably just say, we don't really believe that God is powerful, that God's good, that he's really worth surrendering to. Because if we did believe that, I think it really would change our day-to-day lives. It really would affect the Monday because God is actually powerful, God's actually good. It probably wouldn't really affect what we do because we still have to wake up, we still have to go to work or school or have kids. Um, you know, we still have to eat, we still have to sleep, all the kind of things. It would have, but it would affect how we go about those things. It would affect why we do those things. It would affect what we expect to get from those things, what we kind of want to get from those things. So last week in, uh, in this song from Mary, we learned um, about kind of, kind of like the, de- the default modes that we have, default switches that we have in our lives, the autopilot modes we kind of stay on unless we're affected otherwise. Another couple of these defaults are this. One, we believe God is not powerful. The second one is we believe God is not good. Or if he is powerful, if he is good, maybe he is for other people, but not really for me, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, last week also we talked about what surrender means. And surrender is just giving yourself to someone or something, giving your time, giving your emotions, giving some your presence to something else other than, than you. And Mary, in her song to God, talks about how God's powerful, how he's good, and because of that, she surrenders to him. But if God isn't powerful, if he's not good, why would we surrender to him? I mean, the reason we don't surrender to God is because we don't really think he's worth surrendering to. I think for all of us, I think because we don't, re- if we really saw how amazing God was, we would be very happy to surrender our lives to that person, just like a partner that you marry. It's like, this person's amazing. I want to spend my life with this person. So a God that's um, powerful or not powerful for you, or a God that's not powerful to change things that matter, that's not a God worth surrendering to. Or a God that's maybe powerful but not good, or at least not good for you, that's not a God worth surrendering to either. That sounds like a monster. And so we're not going to surrender to those. So left to ourselves, if that's who God is, like not powerful, not good, we're going to go on a hunt for something that is worth surrendering to. We're going to find something. What will give us the power we need? What's going to give us the the comfort and the security and the ability to do what we want when we want? I mean, it's easy to talk about money here, right? Like a job for someone who's on the search for power, a job ceases to become a job. It becomes something more. It becomes this elevated thing of uh, this magical uh, thing to garner power for ourselves and delivers this magical thing called a paycheck. It's just like numbers. 
I mean, I don't think anyone, does anyone get actual paper paycheck? I don't know. You get numbers. Okay, we have one actual paper paycheck. There's magical numbers on there. And you put those magical numbers in this, this bank account. And those magical numbers, they add up and they give us comfort. Those magical numbers give us what we want. Those magical numbers means we don't have to worry in the, in the future about what's going to happen. We're safe as long as we have that job. And we're also on the hunt for goodness. More than doing good things, we want to be good. In fact, that's probably why we do good things, because we want to be seen as good people. We want to be good. It's kind of like a leaky bucket, though. You, can, you have a leaky bucket, you can keep on pouring water in, you keep on doing good things, but it's kind of leaking out, and so you have to constantly be doing those good things, constantly be doing those good things, otherwise you're not a good person anymore. And as you continue on this hunt for all these different things, our souls, meanwhile, are slowly starving by themselves. But what if there's something better out there? More than a career, more than a job, more than, and these are very good things, more than families, more than partners, all these kind of good things. What if there was something that's more than our own acts of charity that are probably lame if we're honest with ourselves? What if there was a God that gave us goodness more than we can get on our own by actually making us good? If that was true, it'd be ridiculous to search anywhere else. If we actually found someone like that, that would be worth our, worth our lives. It'd be worth something surrendering to. And that's exactly what Mary talks about in her song here. So by ourselves, we're going to be stuck in this endless search for satisfaction, for meaning. We're going to search all these kinds of different ways. Only God gives us what we really want, what we really need. And that's why Jesus was born. He was born to free us from that meaningless search after meaning, to free us from that cycle. So last week, we talked about how God is merciful and how he's mindful. This week, we're going to talk about how God is powerful and how he's good. So um, in Luke 51, 51 and 52, we learn that he's powerful. There we are. Uh, God's powerful. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. So God is powerful. The arm is a symbol of strength. If you ask Colin to like show him your muscles or any probably little could they like, you know, they show you the biceps. That's, that's, that's my muscles. This, 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 is not, this, is all, this is the muscle. That's all I have. Well, how does God choose to use his power? He uses it for justice. In verse 52, he, the proud, those are the people he scatters. The, pr- the powerful are brought down from their lofty positions back to earth where they should be. So we're going to look at those two people, uh, proud people and powerful people. So let's far, first start with powerful people, the people who are proud, um, but it's not obvious because they're proud in their inmost thoughts. They're not like outwardly proud, like walking around peacock style. They're proud inside. This is what we really believe, what we really think goes on, what we really, how we really think about others, the way we really think we're better than probably most. If you've ever looked down on somebody, this is it. Uh, proud can also mean arrogant. Here's a, a definition for you. An exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. Surely that's all of us. If you've ever posted anything on social media ever, you are proud and arrogant. Who does this not apply to? This is all, I mean, this is part in all of our hearts, some larger, some smaller, but there's a part in all of our hearts where these kind of thoughts linger because we're proud people. But God scatters the proud. So what about the powerful so we have the proud people, we have the powerful people. Now, God doesn't have a problem with power in itself. The power per se is, is fine because it can be used for good things. What God has a problem with is people using power for wrong means, people using power to get something better for themselves. And we have that same kind of problem. That's why we have a problem with so many politicians. You see, what are they out? They're out for themselves. Like they are out to rule in whatever way they're going to benefit from. 
And that, we should have a problem with that. That's not just, that's wrong, right? That's not how power should be used. So what is this verse all about then? Who does God take down, these proud people? Well, there's a verse in Matthew that helps here. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus speaking, says this. I think it helps tease out what, what's go, what God is doing here. Jesus says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, those who humble themselves will be exalted. So people who seek power for their own gain, those are the powerful people that God has a problem with. So if you seek power for yourself, or I should say, when we seek power for, her, for yourself, because we all do it, what we do is we objectify others. Others just become a means to our end. They're not people anymore. They're a means for us to be good, to, to get something good for ourselves. Their only existence is for them to deliver something to us. I mean, we do this to, their child, to our children all the time, unfortunately. If they perform a certain way that makes us happy, if they behave a certain way that makes us happy, and, and that's good, that's normal, that's okay, but when we demand that they act a certain way, and if them acting in a certain way is what makes us happy, we've objectified them. They only become a means to our own happiness. That's a horrible way to treat our kids. We do it all the time. And I mean, whether we have children or not, like let's, let's put like, uh, friends in there, let's put neighbors in there, let's put work colleagues in there. If, all, if what they do, the only reason why they exist in that moment is for your own happiness, we're objectifying them. So all of a sudden now, maybe we realize how we can all be kind of people who exalt ourselves. I think we live in a time where that's actually seen as a good thing and not seen as a bad thing if you exalt yourself. But God will not stand by with this kind of injustice. Now, likewise, for those who are humble, for those who are lowly, this is, God doesn't want them to stay low. God isn't happy with them kind of staying in their kind of humble state. He lifts us up. And here's the irony. If we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. If we seek after like a high exalted position, God brings us down. So if we seek after being high, like that's just not gonna work. The way down is always the way up with God. God's always on the side of the humble. So if we seek humility first, we can trust, we can have faith that God is actually gonna lift us up and not bring us down. I mean, maybe the best story to illustrate this has to be the Tower of Babel in Genesis, where we have a bunch of proud people. They think they're amazing. They're gonna get together. They're gonna build this tower and they're gonna say, and they're, so that everyone will know that they are great, that the name of human, the name of people are great. And the, the way the, the story is told in Genesis is God is so high up, he has to go and look down at this like really tall tower, like these humans who have exalted themselves. He's looked down and sees this little speck of humans and he comes down and he destroys them all. He confuses them. He disappoints their own ways of, of them trying to exalt themselves because it's a grace that God doesn't allow us to stay proud and self-exalting because when we are, we completely miss out on what he's about because we're looking at ourselves. If we're obsessed with our own awesomeness all the time, we're gonna completely miss out on an amazing good God that we have. And God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to miss the true greatness that he has for us. And he'll get our attention one way or another. So for the proud, for the powerful, God uses his power for justice to set things right. And often the wrong people are in power and the, and the proud seek to gain for themselves and God is not okay with that. Not on an institutional level, not on a personal level. I mean, God is always on the side of the humble. He's always working towards justice in our world. So for all the injustices that we feel in our world, and rightfully so, I mean, I was just talking with 
Um, last week I was talking with Steph from Reach Out to the Community and she was just saying how she has like no Christmas spirit at all because she's kind of inundated even more than past years with families that are homeless and don't have access to benefits. Like she's like, there's a family of four, they just found themselves homeless last week, they don't have access to benefits and they're having to go through Christmas to find not only a place to live but like gifts for their kids. She's like, I, I, just, I just don't have any kind of Christmas spirit. She's completely down because she felt the injustice of how horrible it is for people to stay in that lowly state. But for everything that riles us up, God actually cares more about that issue than we do. God cares more about homeless people than Steph and Becky. And I don't know anyone else, any other human that cares more about homeless people than Steph and Becky in Charlton. Now I know that God cares more about the issue than we do because I know that there is a part of your heart, of my heart, that is prideful, that is self-exalting. And that part misses out on what God is about and having the, the earth reflect the heavens. And so while we shake our fists at institutional injustices, and let's continue to shake our fists and fight against that, we, can't, we have to reckon with the reality that we also are prideful, we also are self-exalting, and our hearts need to change. And that's a lot more difficult. But thankfully, we have a God who's out for our good. He's not out to get us. He's not out to kind of say, I told you so. He's actually out for our good. He doesn't want to see us go down. I mean, if we are hungry for change, if we're hungry to leave those prideful, self-exalting hearts, we're not going to miss on the goodness that God has for us because Mary teaches us that God's good. Look at verses uh, 53 and 55. Mary says, uh, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his ascendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So he's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So if we're hungry for change, he's gonna fill us with good things. I mean, in these verses here, the hungry are, don't have all they need. They're not completely satisfied. They're, they're hungry. And they're not in a, hungry in like a consumerist kind of way. They're basically, they're hungry because there must be something more to this. That's why they're hungry. They're hungry for change within themselves. Their spiritual stomachs are, are rumbling. They need to be fed. They want to be filled with something that's going to satisfy. Now, for most of us in the secular West, we're walk, we walk around spiritually starved. We don't know it because we can't see it in the mirror. We're actually more obsessed with our looks than probably all of us realize. If we saw the state of our souls, of our emaciated souls, we're probably like, wow, I need to really get, get some work done there. I need to get in the gym or something. I don't know. Because everyone else is just the same though, we don't think that that's a problem. Like, ah, oh, we're all kind of like that, right? It's like what it means to be humans and we feel like that connects us. Not so with the hungry. The hungry are not okay with having emaciated souls. The hungry are not okay with staying that way. They know something's not right and they don't go to themselves. They go to God with that. They know that they're prideful in their hearts and they don't want to stay that way. They know that they tend to exalt themselves, can tend to objectify others and they aren't okay with that. They don't want to stay that way. So they see a world that is bent on looks and outward appearance. They see a world that's job and money obsessed, made up of lives that are solitary and searching after their own meaning. Being hungry is a protest to all of that. We may not always get all we want, but it's a protest to all of that. All of that is wrong in our world. All that's wrong in ourselves. Being hungry is how we say, this is not okay. I don't want to stay that way. And we bring that hunger before a good God. He doesn't leave us as, he, as, as we are. He satisfies he can actually satisfy. I mean, somebody like myself, I'm, I'm super tired from, from all the Christmas stuff. And I just want to, I feel like the answer to that is a nap on Netflix. And I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good thing too. Physically, we need to rest. 
but that's not really going to satisfy my soul. Like a nap on Netflix is okay, and it might last for a little bit, but that's not really going to satisfy my soul. I need something more than that. I'm hungry for, for, for more than that. Now, functionally, we live our lives as if God could satisfy, but just to be safe, like we'll have all these other things too. It's like we're, we're just like the Israelites who worship God on one side and the other side have all sorts of idols in their house. We, we put our hope of satisfaction in a career, a family, and a nice house. These are all great things, but, and they're worth pursuing, but to put the hope of our satisfaction in those things, like they're far too small, far too small. They're just not enough. And that's what God wants us to surrender to him. He wants us to surrender our lives to him because only an infinite God who is infinitely good can fill us with the good things that we're starving for. Only God can do that. Now, all of this presupposes an emptying because to be filled, we have to make room first for that good stuff to be there. It's kind of like the, uh, the clear out before Christmas with what we're doing with Colin. And over the years, because Colin's grandparents don't, don't get to see him very much, they love to send stuff, which is great. They love to send toys, all sorts of great things. It's a great way for them to, to love him and to see him uh, be happy. But with like new Christmas stuff coming in, we have to say, okay, so you have all these toys, but we have these better toys that are gonna come in for Christmas. We can't keep all of them because there's not 110% room in your room. So we need to clear out like a little, I mean, take away five things, you know, it's kind of not, not a lot, but it's at least something. And I, was, I think we were both expecting like a big massive fight. It's like, no, I wanna keep it all. I get super sentimental about like the little tiny plasticky trinket things that are easily, you can easily chuck. But he got it right away. He's like, oh, well, good things are, better things are coming. Okay, well, we'll get this, these things. One, two, three, four, five. Then what are we doing? Are we going to play something next? Like, he was just ready to move on because he knew, like, the better stuff was coming. He totally got it in a way that I think really surprised us. And we also threw away some other things he didn't know about, but don't tell him. <laughs> if we don't make room for the good things, like, how, how are they going to come into our lives? If we feel like we're completely satisfied and yet also feel like we're completely dragging ourselves to every single day that comes because we're living unsatisfied lives. Where is the room in our life going to come from? Joy to the world. I don't even know if we're singing it later. Um, but uh, has that, that line, prepare him room. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. What does it mean to prepare him room? Let every heart prepare him room. How do we empty ourselves in order to make room for God's good things? Well, we make space in our time. We have to make space in our emotions. We have to make space in our energy. In different parts of our lives, different times in our lives, we're gonna have different times for different things. Sometimes it's gonna be more full. Sometimes it's gonna be less full. But we have to have some kind of margin. There has to be some kind of margin in our lives for this. If we don't have that margin now, um, we can't keep on doing all the same things and just think, oh, well, this year I'm gonna do really good at this thing and, you know, and, and add another thing on top. It just doesn't work that way. Some things have to be removed. We have to prepare and room. And once we have that margin, once we kind of have that um, emptying, we don't just stay empty. We want to be filled up. I think being filled up for us who are in, living in like this overstuffed, overconsumerized West, I think that means um, we have to practice being hungry because we don't really, we don't, I, don't, I rarely feel hungry. As soon as I feel hungry, I eat something. Like I don't live in hunger. <laughs> I think we have to practice being hungry. We ask God to speak to us through reading the Bible, through prayer. We speak to, back to God through praying to him. We talk to him about our concerns. It's a practice. It means it's like, it's, there's not a way to win. You just kind of do it. Like you don't win a practice. You just do it. And it's not often very fun. I played American football for one year. And the practices were never enjoyable, um, but you just did it. And it's often difficult because we're so used to just easily being stuffed by naps and Netflix. 
I'm all for them, but we need something more than that. We're so used to being overstuffed, like some spoiled rich kid who just keeps on getting more stuff. And we do the same with our calendars and commitments. Like if our calendar is completely full, how in the world are we gonna prepare him room to work? So what are we willing to give up in order to experience God's goodness? If God is who he says he is, if these words are actually true, we would all say, yeah, they're true. We would say that. But if these really are true, how are we gonna like prepare room to make this like real in our lives? What are we gonna do? If you took like 15 minutes a day, if you don't have that time now, just 10 minutes to read a portion of the Bible, 10 minutes is not very long, five minutes to pray about what you just read, that's not very long, even for the, the most ADD of us. If you just took 15 minutes a day, that would actually revolutionize your life if you aren't doing that now. That would completely change you. Like it, it would just completely change you. And um, we're, this next series we're doing in the new year, uh, we're gonna go through Acts and so to kind of help with that, we have these um, books, and they're in the back. You can have them, early Christmas present for you. Um, basically, already organized by the sermons we're going to preach. Um, Acts is 28 chapters. There are more than 28 days in January. If you took one day to read one chapter in Acts altogether, maybe you've never actually read through a book of the Bible before. That would be, com- that would be crazy. Or maybe you've never had like kind of that daily practice before. Like That would really change your life. So grab them either way, even if you... Uh, don't want to uh, read them. Um, make me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also a spot to like to um, write questions and like responses, things like that. We're going to be preaching through that in the future. And they're ring bound. Yes, so they lay flat. Yes, right. That's how we do. <laughs> now, I think if you did something like that, and if you if you did something like that, and you previously haven't done that before, you would experience that like good kind of filling up the idea of preparing him room to work. Uh, it would be like a series of healthy meals after starving. Like if, if, if someone is starving, you don't just give them like one big massive meal, like what our New Year's resolutions are. Like I'm gonna pray for two hours every single day and then I'm gonna you know, read a, a one book of the Bible every single day. Like you're just not gonna do that. That's like, a, you're, this is not gonna happen. You won't do that anyway. I mean, you, might, you won't even write that down because you'd be, oh, I feel too guilty. I'm not gonna do this thing. Um, but we don't need one meal because we're starving. We need like lots of healthy meals over a long period of time. Like if you're starving and you get those healthy meals, you would physically look different. And yours, our souls are no different. We will totally be different if we do that. A daily practice would change us. Now, um, maybe you are spending time in the word and in prayer, and that's fantastic. I think if you have like an ongoing practice, that's really, really good. It's more of a danger for someone in that position to not come with empty souls waiting to be nourished and more treat it like an empty ritual of a thing that I do every day. I think regardless of if you do a thing or not do a thing, we all have a problem with being hungry before doing that thing. Like, do we really believe God is going to fill us up when we meet him? Do we really believe we're meeting God when we read these words? These are literally God's words to us. He is speaking to us all the time. Like, oh man, if only I could hear God speak. If only I was around Jesus' this time when he speak. Like we have, he couldn't have made it any easier. He made a book and we made it a smaller book of this smaller book for you to read as well. It could not be easier to hear God's words to you. It's amazing. And even as I say that, I know we take it for granted. It's like if it was, it was a struggle, if it was a more uh, kind of like you have to climb this mountain first and then you get the revelation, maybe that'd be easier for us. But God's like, no, I'm gonna make it easy because you can't do that. And even when I make it easy, you still can't do that. I mean, just, just read a little of my words a day. So whether we have kind of some kind of daily practice or not, all of us, every single one of us need to be coming to this good God with hungry souls because we are all hungry expecting God to work, recognizing their faults, not hiding them, but bringing them to God and asking him to change us. It's crazy that he does. Do 
to be satisfied and to be nourished. And another thing too, this is not on you, yourself. We're a church together. We're called a people. We're called a family. We're called a community, whatever. It says it big, massive letters in the back there. We're a gospel-formed family on mission. This is not on you to figure out how to do yourself. You will not have the power to do it yourself. You have to ask someone to help you. So we need, that's why we need to be in community with each other. And that could be just as easy as, um, you know, text. I, I have, there's people who I have texted every single day say, hey, when did you read? Like, I, I will be happy to text you every single day if you need that. If that's what, like, that, what an easy thing to get into the Bible. Have someone else do it, if not me, just to make sure that we're in there together. But let's all stop for a second. All this New Year's resolution talk, all of the kind of stuff we should do. It's not even New Year's yet, and I'm already putting the guilt on the New Year's resolution on you guys. Uh, well, Mary is talking about how God's been good to her. Her song is all about why it's good for her to surrender to God. I know we started talking about how God is just, and for the humble, that's really good news, but we're not always humble. For the hungry, that's always really good news, but we're not always hungry. We're proud, we're self-exalting. How can we, who are, uh, surely we're not that deluded to think that we're, like, we're the needy kind of person that Mary's presenting here all the time. How can a God who uses his power for justice meet someone like us and that actually be a good thing? How can someone who brings down the self-exalting meet someone like us and us say, he's done great things for me? How can that be true? If we're prideful and self-exalting, how can we, like Mary, praise God in the midst of that reality? How can we say God's been good to us? Because I want to. I really want that to be true. How can we say that? It's because the cross is where God's justice and his mercy meet. The cross is where God's justice is mercy meet. The cross is where God becomes our savior, the way Mary talks about God. Let's look at verses um, 44 and 45. This is talking about God. Mary says, he, God, has helped his servant Israel, remember to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Another translation says, he embraced his chosen child Israel. That's all, all who follow Jesus. He embraced his chosen child. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham right up to now. So the cross is where God is 100% just and 100% merciful for being prideful, for being arrogant, for being self-exalting. We deserved a punishment. And God just didn't pretend like all that didn't exist. Like he's just, punishment has to be delivered. But in his justice, he poured out that punishment, just, just not on us. So because we were broken, Jesus was broken. He was broken for our brokenness. And all of the punishment that we deserved, God poured it out. He poured it out completely, utterly and without stopping until it was all done. But not on us. He poured it out on Jesus. so that we, like Mary, can say God's been good to us. How we, like Mary, can say God is our savior. We learned last week that mercy is not getting a punishment that we deserve. And through Jesus, we've received mercy. Everything that holds us back from all the good stuff that God has for us, everything that holds us back from being humans that are truly alive, Jesus has taken all that from us. And that's a God worth surrendering to. We've been given a new life one that can actually make room for God to give his good things to us, one that can actually be humble when we're enticed to pride. And this is because God himself takes up residence inside of our hearts. That is insane and crazy. What in the world does that mean? I don't even really know. And I'm supposed to. 
I mean, this is a God worth surrendering to. So if you've never experienced this amazing life in this way, we have to ask ourselves, are we taking advantage of, the, of God the way that, um, in a good way, the way that Mary's talking about here? Are we enjoying God's goodness the way that Mary's talking about here? What parts of our hearts are, are we holding on to in light of this powerful God? What parts are we holding like, not, and not surrendering to in light of that good God? Why would we hold anything back? Only if we see God as powerful and good in the way that Mary speaks here will we be cured of our own fruitless search after our own small and selfish ways of what we think the good life is all about. Now, I like to um, brag on the kids ministry people because basically they're pretty much awesome in all ways and they're doing something that's much more difficult than I am. Um, but, uh, oh, there we go, not too far ahead. Uh, will Tyndall, our intern, hey, uh, led the teaching time with our kids Weeks ago. When was, the la- when was the last time you led the teaching time? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. God keeps his promises one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so two weeks ago. Okay. Oh, yeah. Co- Collins has been telling me God keeps his promises like over and over and over again. People don't remember my sermons after lunch. <laughs> but two weeks later, God is say- or Colin is saying, oh, God keeps his promises. The, uh, the other night we were reading a Bible story about God's promise. Like, oh, God's pro- what do we know about God's promises, Colin? He says, God keeps his promises. <laughs> like with the fullest of stops that could ever exist. He was like super strong. Now, I don't know about you, but I really need to hear that. <laughs> I really need to hear that God keeps his promises. <clears throat> and God made a promise so many years ago. He told Abraham that one day he will be, like, we will be rescued and all the brokenness that holds us back will be destroyed. He told Abraham that like millennia before Jesus, God keeps his promises. The father sent his son to be born as a helpless baby because God keeps his promises. Now, some would grow up. He would tell everyone about himself. Oh, he's the savior of the world. He would tell them what God the father is like. A few people would listen. And part of that son's mission on earth was to die. The reason, one of the reasons why he was born was so that he would die for us because no matter what it takes, God keeps his promises. And that's why we have this table. We have to remember that. God keeps his promises over and over and over again. So do not tell me that you think God doesn't love you when you mess up. Don't tell me that you think God doesn't care about you unless you're good that day because Jesus himself died for to draw you to him. So nothing you can do, pale, like all that pales in comparison to God himself hanging on a cross dead for you. So it doesn't matter what you do. If you're a Jesus, you're his. He keeps his promises. It doesn't matter what you do because when he died, he told me it's finished. He told you it's finished. Regardless of where you are in your life, right now in this moment, God keeps his promises. I want more of that God. I want more of my life to be given to that kind of God. I want more of my life affected by that kind of God. So in a moment when we sing our songs, I'm gonna sing to the God that keeps his promises and I'm gonna walk up in the joy and the thankfulness and in the wonder that God cares about me that much. Why would he even do that? I don't know, but he does. It's amazing. And in a practice of surrender, because I need to remember it over and over again, I'm gonna take a piece of bread, I'm gonna dip it in the wine, and I'm gonna eat with a thankfulness and a joyfulness and tell my God, thank you. Thank you for keeping your promises despite all I do to hold you back. So if you believe that, join us. Join the rest who are hungry with us. If you don't follow this God or aren't yet into all this, you know, that's fine, we're really glad you're here. But we don't want you to do something you don't believe in, so please don't take it. But if you do want it, if you do want to take it, whether it's your first time, whether you don't even completely understand, but you understand that God is doing something in your heart, you don't have to be a member here. You just need to surrender to a good God who's always working for our good and always keeps his promises. Let's pray to that God.